Golf Podcast, powered by Win Daily Sports, where betters go to bet better. Here are your hosts, Tee Off Sports and Sticks Picks. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Better Golf Podcast. We got the RBC Heritage. I hope everybody enjoyed the Masters. And with me, as always, Spencer Aguiar at Tiaf Sports. Spencer, how was the Masters for you? I know it was a lot of up and down for all of us, but it was a great weekend for me. But just uh, I haven't really talked to you about it a whole lot besides Xander's blow up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a good tournament. Uh, I didn't have nearly as good of a week as you had with I, I, I'll let you discuss some of the plays you were on. For the most part, for me, it was uh, a relatively break even tournament. I had 13.04 units in play. I walked out of the week down 0.16. So it's pretty much just, you know, come and go type of week with it. There really wasn't too much uh, to, to go into with that. Um, negative 0.68 in outrights. You know, I had the close call on Xander Spieth. Those were my two best plays there. And I kind of thought it was a relatively easy betting board on Saturday night. You know, my model has tracked 29 tournaments and has an average starting position of 2.5 for the eventual winner for round four. And nobody outside of seventh place has uh, won a tournament. And also nobody outside of five shots has won a tournament. So I think the perception continues to be to take extreme long shots when you enter these Sunday events with it. But, you know, you kind of had a board where Hideki was up by four shots. You only had four golfers within that range of him. And my model had a decky closer to 60% to get the job done. And we were looking at a minus 110 price to start there. So I was able to recoup some of my outright losses there. I jumped on Hideki at plus 140 after Xander made his mistake at three and four. And then in the outright or I'm sorry, in the head-to-head market, that's kind of where I got most of my money back with it. I was three and one with my head-to-head, uh, two and one in my in-tournament plays. Those in-tournament plays for me continue to be something that my model is just cracking out every single week. I'm 68, 37, 13, uh, 64.76% there. And then really the decider for me on the week was Brian Harmon. I had him for top lefty. I ended up getting a push out of it with Robert McIntyre. It would have been nice to hit that for a full three to one. So, you know, I ended up winning about a unit there instead of the full three and, uh, you know, relatively whatever week for me, but I know it was a big week for you. Yeah, Justin Rose, baby, first round leader. I think that was 66 to one. I got that one. I didn't play it as big, but I had a monster win ticket on him. I think it would have been, uh, I think I put, no, I don't want to get into all that, but it was like, it would have been a 26,000 if Justin Rose would have held on. So after the first two days, I was like, all right, well, it's Friday, he kind of shit the bed a little bit there. Just didn't do much. I think he shot 72. So, but it, it could have been way worse. Like he started so bad on Friday and I thought that was going to be the tournament for him, but he did give me a lot of sweat equity and that was fun and i did have the uh hideki matsuyama also a 66 to 1 ticket at the masters i know sia was trying to talk me off of it on the wind Haley show so i lessened my play i think it was only like 0.2 units which is a pretty high outright ticket for me I usually i don't go much higher than like a tenth of a unit or a fifth you know 0.15 or something like that on these masters because they're just i probably had like 10 outrights because it's a masters what am i gonna do just not bet winners right but yeah and then ryan palmer top 40 was my other i think that was my biggest ticket overall for like unit risk so that was awesome to see him continue his good form he's really coming into form here so i wish he's playing this weekend but oh well he's had a really good run there for us but yeah let's um uh, what about xander man i I know we want to talk about it because personally i think we both had xander outrights didn't we yeah and and you know xander continues to it's one of those things with xander that i never necessarily thought that he was choking in these spots but when you hear it coming from his mouth that he's not performing, I do think there's something to be said about that. We look at him at the waste management. He falls apart early on in that round. He gets it together. He birdies 16. He goes to 17 there. He dumps the ball into the water. Tournament's over. Kepka wins. He does the same thing here. He gets off, you know, he birdies two. You think, okay, well, maybe he'll make a run. He falls apart on three. He messes up four. It's like, all right, he's out of the tournament. Now we're probably looking at another failed venture from him. And then he makes his run on the back nine, gets himself to 16 on a hole where really water should never come into play. Like the ball funnels back to the pin. All he has to do is miss on the high side there, let it funnel back in. And he should have a relatively, you know, acceptable birdie look there. Instead, he dumps it into the water and the tournament's over for him. Yeah, I was on XM at that time kind of watching and and reporting live, I guess, while Jason and I were talking 
about fantasy baseball, but that's all I told him. I was like, that that hole was playing very easy that day. It always does on Sunday because, like you said, you just miss on the high side. They'll funnel back in. Should be a guaranteed par, right? If you just hit the the upper right side of that green, it's going to – like in these guys, that's that's not a hard shot for the pros because they can kind of put it within 15 feet on command for the most part. And then, yeah, he's short left water and then hits it into the stands on the on the drop shot. Like, oh, man, it was – or on the re-tee there. So, like, he – and uh, Hideki bogeyed that hole. So if he just pars a hole, he's one back with two holes to play. Like that would have been the finish everybody wanted to see. But yeah, Xander puts one in the drink, and and Hideki's bogey doesn't matter at all at that point. It was pretty much a birdie in comparison to what Shoffley did. So that sucked. Um, but let's get into the RBC heritage. Or is there anybody you want to talk about at the Masters? I know we were, we were pretty high on Jordy. He was in like 50% of my 150 lineups. So he played really strong, just didn't, never seemed to get in that Jordan Spieth groove. So I, I don't know, like what were your thoughts on him? I was expecting a really good outing for him. And I thought after he, um, I don't know what hole it was, but he was in the woods. He had that really low shot that came back and went up the hill and went down. It was like a three foot birdie. I thought he was just going to go on, you know, command right there or on uh, autopilot, I guess I should say, but I don't know. Just didn't really see. It just was kind of up and down for Spieth all week. Yeah. The putting is like, it's, that's never what you expect to hold him back in. And, and surprisingly, the putter just never got going for the entire tournament. He lost strokes, I believe. I, I don't know what he did on Sunday, but I know the first three days he had lost strokes putting. And, you know, if you just get one of those standard putting performances from him, you're probably looking at because the problem is when he starts at five under par, you know, and, and he's six shots back, like I'm not really sure what type of likelihood chance he has to win. Like, like as I was saying, I have a decky at about 60% entering. Sunday, I would say the other guys at seven under par probably are carrying, you know, about 30% themselves. And then could throw a little bit on the Connors, a little bit on the speed, but like speed's likelihood to win that tournament at that point is very unlikely. So, you know, I kind of give him a, a pass for what he did on Sunday. I'm sure he knew in the back of his head, he had to force the situation never quite came to fruition with it. Putter was just cold for most of the tournament. He got a little bit hot, you know, on the back nine there, but it was a good performance. Like we're seeing it with the ball striking with him now. His irons look sensational. It's the best I've seen him strike the ball in a long time. And I don't think he's going anywhere. He's going to keep competing. And I mean, the only downside to the Masters, I would say in general, as a big picture thing is I don't really think Hideki ever had a chance to lose that tournament on Sunday. And that took away some of the view viewing pleasure from it. Like it just seemed like Hideki always had it won. kind of stole that tournament after the rain delay on Saturday catches fire there. And then all of a sudden, you know, Sunday, everybody's playing catch up and nobody can ever get close enough. Tim Xander made a, a small push. Zalatoris made an early push and it just was never enough. And you kind of always felt like it was a foregone conclusion of what was going to happen. But you know, it, nothing taken away from Hideki. He did what he needed to do. He shoots a 73 on Sunday and, you know, he didn't need anything better than that. And it was good enough to win the tournament. I thought I was getting into it on Sunday when Xander was making that push. What he, he birdied like four in a row? Yeah. I think, yeah, like that was a hell of a run. That's that's kind of unheard of. I know it happened a couple times at Augusta this weekend. But yeah, then when he goes in the water, he's like, damn, this thing's over. Didn't really care about the end of it. But I wanted to see how high a deck he reacted. He's such just a just stone cold. Like he didn't really show much emotion. I was like, dude, cry a little bit or smile, have fun, go chug a beer, whatever. But didn't, it's just, that's who he is, I guess. So congrats to him. It's a, uh, I love the cash that ticket. It was a great weekend for me. I would have probably preferred Xander wins because he's one of my favorite golfers, but I always like the back Hideki. All right, let's get into the RBC Heritage, and I'll let you go over the course and uh, some of the, the makeup, everything here, the previous winners, and what you're expecting this weekend. Yeah, so RBC Heritage, uh, course is Harbortown. We're looking at roughly 7,099 yards, call it 7,100. It's a par 71 Bermuda grass. The field is reserved for 132 players. At the time of recording this, we currently have 135 which means any withdrawals will not be replaced by an alternate. So, you know, keep that in mind. Past winners here, Webb Simpson in 2020. That was the second start back from COVID, from the COVID return there. And everybody was at that tournament. So that, that was a big victory for Webb. CT Pan in 2019, Satoshi Kadaira in 2018, Wesley Bryan in 2017, Brandon Grace in 2016. So to me, I mean, that's mostly a list of short hitters that have been able to find success and win. I think we're looking at a strategical layout where you need to miss to the correct location. Tree line fairways will help to dis disguise some of the wind, but in the same sense, it creates a blockage if you don't find the short grass. And then the random coastal gusts and sand traps are looming around every corner. So, 
you know, you're going to need guys that are accurate off the tee. Uh, there's some of the smallest greens on tour here. So we're looking at uh, GIR percentage, strokes gained around the green, scrambling. And there's also 11 par fours, nine of which measure between 400 to 500 yards. So you're looking for these guys that are going to find fairways, find greens. If they don't find greens, you're going to want guys that have good touch around the greens. And I, I think it gives an interesting tournament because it opens up the field for who can win this. You know, when you have these bomber tests, you you limit the field down to, you know, the top, you know, 10 or 15% of guys that are bombing it out to a certain distance. This type of week, everybody's going to be missing in the same general area. And it allows you an opportunity to have, you know, who gets hot with the putter, who gets hot with the irons. And it, it just, it's a much more open tournament than we usually have. Yeah, I had a, I actually like this. I have a ton of tickets punched already. So I'm excited to go over that. A lot of top 40s uh, have one, two, three, four, five, five outrights. So I'm, I'm excited to see, like, I guess I was talking to you before the podcast on how to see like these bombers. How does DJ do on this course? I'm, I'm really excited to see Tyrrell Hatton play this course too. I think this should make up like he could be a sneaky winner. Fleetwood, it's just it's going to be so cool to see all these people play this short course. So, what are some of the metrics that you really weigh uh, weight heavily this week? For me, it was similar to like it always is is more approach, and uh, that, I mean it's pretty much all approaching off the tee and tee to green for me. I didn't do a whole lot of around the green or putting, but as I started to look in metrics and strokes gained from previous winners, I wanted to say like I did weight putting a little bit higher than I would. Course history not very important to me here. I'd say above average grade for me at course history. So let's like one of the the three times I've weighted it over 25%. Yeah, well, I guess, what are the key metrics for you? Anything that I'm missing there? Well, I, I think you're correct. Like, this is one of those venues where if you have more experience, you know where to miss, it's going to help you. I have my weight, I believe, at 20% currently with the model I have right now. I always tweak it a little bit. But yeah, I mean, 20% is a pretty decent amount that I put into it. And then I ran seven different stats in my model. Some of them are a little bit more outside of the box, I guess, than I normally would do. So I, I put 10% on the strokes gain total on Pete Dye. That's over the last 50 rounds. I also put 10% on strokes gain total Bermuda. I didn't use just putting for that. I used the complete picture for it. I thought it was just, uh, you know, some of these guys are such bad putters. I didn't want to negatively weigh them over the top with it. Like you're going to need to make putts. You're going to need to make putts every week to win a tournament. And I just would rather look at guys that do well on Bermuda and then uh, 10% on strokes gain total and moderate to severe win. So those are three strokes gain total metrics that I use. I usually don't go, you know, cross the board as much with something like that, but it's completely different picture. You know, it's the course design, it's the grass, it's the wind. I think it's fine with doing it that way. I also attach 20% to weighted par four which is essentially just, I took 10% from the zero to 350 range, 10% from the 350 to 400, uh, 43% from 400 to 450 and 37% from 450 to 500. So like, as I said, nine of those par fours are ranging between 400 to 500 yards. I'm trying to find guys that can score from there. I did attach weight to around the green. I have 15% on a combination of around the green and sand safe. It's a little bit more weighted towards the around the green. It was 65% around the green, 35% sand safe. So I took those two numbers, came up with a total, added 15% to that. I have a weighted ball striking where I, I took 60% accuracy, 40% distance to give me a total driving number. I then did a 50-50 split of total driving and GIR percentage, put 20% onto that number and then my last 15%, I put into proximity from 125 to 200 yards. Pretty equal split uh, between the ranges. 30% uh, from 125 to 150, 33% from 150 to 175, and then 37% from 175 to 200. I think you're just going to need guys that can hit greens and regulation. You need guys that are good from a certain proximity distance. And I feel like this encompassed a pretty good model of what I'm looking for in a golfer. I think so. I think that fits this course perfectly. I was kind of just taking notes there because maybe I'll adjust my numbers a little bit. But yeah, I love it. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, it's a it's a unique test from what we're looking at this for this week. Like, like, as we've mentioned, distance just doesn't come into play at all. Everything is forced layups with it. So I'm just trying to find guys from specific distances, guys from specific skill sets. and try to see if I can't figure out a way to beat the market or be a little bit different than the market in, in you know, 
spots here and there. And I think my model did a pretty good job. There was a, a couple of guys I was very surprised were as high as they were. And, you know, it's always nice to see somebody that pops up and, you know, maybe the market isn't necessarily in agreement because, you know, you when you're creating your own numbers, you can find edges in that way. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to go over a couple guys that that exact mold. Um, let's go with the opposite, though. Who are the fades of the week? Who are you fading? I'll give you a couple to start here. Surprisingly, very, very, very low, especially when I grade course history. Webb Simpson came out 17th overall. I think in the books, he's he's the number one. He's the favorite to win this tournament, at least on DraftKings. I think on FanDuel, he was top two as well. So in comparison to the market, my model is extremely low on Webb Simpson. And then down in the 30 range, I don't think he's ever been lower than 18 on my model all week. So I don't know if maybe the the recent, and I cut down on recent weights too. So it's like not like Augusta should kill him that much, but Sunjay M, 32nd overall, Billy Horschel, 40th, and then Brandon Grace. I don't know if you want to call Brandon Grace a fade, I doubt. He's very popular, but just in comparison, I think he was like 27th or 28th in the outright market total. So I had him at 46. So like anything that's around 15 spot difference, I'm likely fading. Any thoughts on those top three, though? Webb Simpson, Sanjay M and Billy Horschel. I think those are three household names that are playing relatively good golf lately. The one thing with Webb Simpson is like he dominates at the same courses every single year. He's the defending champion here, 16th in 2019, 5th in 2018, 11th in 2017. You know, I know you and I have had some private conversations about where we have Webb. Like, that was one of our big things for the Masters when we were trying to talk about DFS exposure and where to be on Webb. And, you know, his irons, I'm higher on them than you were. The problem is, is I just think this is such a good course fit for Webb. Like, almost everything you're looking for, you get the Bermuda grass from him. You get a shorter venue. He's ninth in Pete Dye over his last 50. He's first on Bermuda. He's first in, you know, moderate to severe win. He's the number one player in my model. And really, Webb and, and Berger were kind of a class above everybody else when I ran this. So it's hard for me to fade Webb here. I, I think Webb is a guy that it just, to me, Webb and Berger are the two safest players. Horschel, probably more of a, if we're looking at a one to 2% version of him, maybe like on DraftKings, I could go down that road for a GPP thing. He's 22nd for me in my model. So we're, we're looking at a little bit of a negative value there. I think that the ownership, you know, maybe you can make an argument. I don't love him as an outright bet though. I, I think there's no reason to have to back him in a head to head. And then, yes, yeah, Sungjae for me was 29th. He was one of the worst values I had on my sheet at the top. And, you know, you're looking at back-to-back missed cuts here. He missed the cut at the Masters. And even if you look at his results before that, like the 8th at the Honda, the 17th at the Players, the 21st at API, I can't necessarily say he was playing all that well. Like the one thing he has going for him is he's a great Bermuda player. And all those results gave you that Bermuda feel where he was making a bunch of putts. So Mm -hmm. maybe you look at something to where he can get hot with the putter again, but his irons are really bad right now. And if the irons continue to stay bad with small greens, like he's going to find himself in problems. And he came to this venue in better form in years past. And, you know, he's back to back missed cuts with it. So I definitely agree with where you're at with Sungjae there. It's just, you know, I I can't get myself to do it on DraftKings. He's going to be, you know, probably 5%, maybe a little bit more as the week goes on. But it's hard to to back him the way he's playing right now. All right. So uh, you scared the hell out of me about Webb Simpson. I mean, those stats are, you can't ignore them. And he's playing good golf. It's not like he's in bad form or anything like that. So I don't know why the hell I'm down on him so much. But if he's going to be 30% owned in DFS, let's put a little DFS spin on it. Webb Simpson, single entry tournament, let's say 500 people in it. 30% 30% owned in a 500 person single entry GPP. You on him or off him? I like Webb in single entry. Like, I think that's kind of where he makes sense. I think he makes sense in cash games. I think he makes sense in single entries. I think when you start going to these 150, you know, uh, buy in type contests to where you have, you know, your 10,000 people and he's going to be 30% owned, I think it makes a lot less sense. But as I was saying, like, Webb is notorious for burning people that try to fade him in these events. And it's like, it's tough because we're, we're looking at a contest where this could go, this can go so wrong when Webb wins this tournament. And it's like, we see it at the Wyndham when he plays it. We see it at these venues where it's like, we know Webb has the course history at waste management. And it's like, when you're trying to dodge that bullet of him, 
it's a dangerous game to play. And I just think his safety is so good for an event like this that it's hard to kind of bypass him if you can. Now, if, you know, once again, if we're talking these 10,000 plus person contests, you kind of have to close your eyes and hope that you can avoid it. I mean, unless you just want to play him at 100% or go somewhere crazy with it, which, I mean, there's always an option of that. But, um, you know, but, but as I said, him and Berger are kind of the two guys that I think are the safest to not burn you. And when you're looking at GPP tournaments, that's not necessarily what you're looking for. But when you're talking about single entries, I do think that there's something to be said about that. I think he, I think for me, I may just stay to the, the cash room with him. I don't even know. He's not popping in my optimal right now, obviously, if he's ranked 17th. But I think maybe in smaller fields, single entry, I'll use him just because I don't want to see him go off and I don't have him. But in, in large field GPPs, like you said, I think I'm just going to, I'm going to fade him, see what happens if he crashes and burns, you know, maybe he's tired from Augusta. I don't know, but <laughs> I, I don't know. He just, he's not grading well for me and I got to stick to my numbers because the last couple of weeks I, it's been really well for me, but let's get into what do we have here? Top forties. All right, here, I got a couple for you. I'm just going to rattle them off. Love to see your opinion on him. I got Christian Bezadenhout, plus 110 on points bet. My price was minus 125. Um, thoughts on him? Yeah, Bezadenhout's one of my favorite players this week. I, I actually have an outright ticket on him. Uh, we'll discuss that later. But yeah, he's 28th here in his first attempt. Like When we look at more strategical tests, I think it helps some of these European players. We know his around the green game, his short game in general, is is it's elite. He's first in my model over a two-year sample size around the green. And I don't have as much data on him as I do a lot of these guys. I mean, a lot of these stats filter in and out from him. So there's not a ton from him that I have. Like, that's not two years worth of data. That's a, you know, a condensed version, I would say, of how I don't know how many rounds I had to have on him. I'd have to go look. But I have him first around the green. He's 10th in putting. When we look at his recent form in putting, he's fifth. Uh, he's 18th on Bermuda over his last 50. Really, the one downside to him comes with par five scoring. And the thing about this week is you lose a par five, so you only have three of them. And it's really hard to hit these greens in, in, in two shots anyway. I mean, like you have small greens and you, the eagle rate is very low. So most of these guys are going to be, you know, stuck somewhere around the green where they're going to have to try to get up and down. And if Bezadenhout is a guy that's going to be doing it better than anybody else, like that's what I want to see. It just feels like the perfect course setup for him to find success. All right. We are one for one, and I absolutely love to hear that. So I'm going to actually get a Bezaden out outright as well. Uh, next ticket, Sebastian Munoz, plus 150 on the top 40 market on points bet. My price was minus 120, so a lot bigger edge than what I have on Bezzy, but uh, Munoz, I like him. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Munoz at least gives you that upside to him to where, you know, he can go off in any given week. We see it where he's first round leader on Thursday. He misses the cut, you know, like maybe on a Friday when he ends up blowing up. And it's just a, a unique way he plays. But that upside is a good thing. And, and not, not that that's necessarily what you're looking for in a top 40 market. But he's a 28th here in 2020, the ninth coming in at the Valero. He just has a really good game that you would think it, you know, like he would suit a test like this. The one, the one downside I would say that I have from him is he's 109th in my model on Pete Dye. Um, I wouldn't necessarily put much weight into that. I mean, some of these guys have more rounds than others. He's 29th in the wind. He is 14th in overall birdie or better percentage. He's pretty relatively decent. I mean, he's around 40th, 50th for me in, in around the green stand safe percentages. But yeah, like he's a guy where he's 28th in total driving, uh, 37th in overall ball striking for me. So the number that you have is right about where I have him in that like minus 115, minus 120 range for what I have for proper for him. So I think it's a good value. I, I'm not, it's not one of those numbers where I think it's like the best value on the board, but I have him inside my top 40 of my model. I think there's value to be had as a top 40 wager. Love it. All right. So we're, we're going to say we're one and a half for two. You don't love that one as much, but you definitely like it. So I am confident in that ticket. Next one, Chris Kirk plus 120. On points bet, my price I had him at right around minus one thirty both times I ran the model. Yeah, and if you're not running course history for Kurt, you're gonna even have like a better number than I have on it. So he missed the cut here in 2019, 55th in 2018, missed cut in 2017. The one thing I'd like to preface with that is Kirk is such a better golfer at this point than he was. That's he what was I was gonna say. I was yeah. I'm sorry to cut you off there, but he's a different golfer than he was back then. Completely, and he was going through off the course problems and. I don't think like there's just certain guys like, you know, Spieth is a different example. Like his game got so bad there for a while. 
that you just can't take anything he did for a two, three year span. And Kirk's game got all over the place from the off the course problems he was having. And it's really tough to not keep going down this well with, with him when, I mean, when you're looking at his recent form, sixth at the Valero, 25th at the Honda, eighth at the API and that 48th at the players. I mean, he could have won that tournament going into Sunday. That result is so hidden. Like I I had a top uh, 40 ticket on him for that. And that was one of the bigger top 40 wagers I've done. And somehow that wager didn't end up winning, you know, when he just absolutely imploded on Sunday there. But yeah, I mean, if we even go back to Pebble Beach, he was 16th there. It's another short course where you would expect him to find success. And it's just, it's almost impossible at this point to, to fade him until like, he changes what he's doing. His game is just too good right now. 100%. I'm with you. I think he's just in really good form. Yeah, and like I said, I had him priced at minus 130, so I think he gets top 40 pretty easily. Um, let's do a couple bombers here. Next one is just a guy I've been on ever since he changed his swing coach over to Mark Blackburn. I think that's a guy that's just a really, really good teacher of iron play. Is Adam Hadwin, plus 180 on points bet. My price is just dead even money just because he's still not – 100% to who he was a couple of years ago when he was just a, a top 20 machine. But Adam Hadwin, uh, yeah, plus 180. So about 80 points of value to my number there. Yeah, I like where you're at there. Like that's, uh, I have him a little bit more than I had Munoz. I'm, I'm looking at about minus 115, minus 120 for him being proper. He's just a guy that, you know, at, at his best, he's a top 40 type guy. Like he kind of, that's what you expect to get from him. I don't know if he can go win these tournaments necessarily, but when we look at his recent form, he has three straight top 30s. He has the 26 at Genesis when we go back even a little bit further than that. And his around the green game is just so spectacular when he's on. He's ninth over a two-year sample size. He's fourth over his last 24 rounds, 13th for me on Pete Dye track. So I think that's a really good value there. He's, uh, depending on how I run it, he ranges anywhere between 25th to 30th on my model. So I, I really like that number that you were able to get there. Love it. All right. This could be a big day, um, a big weekend. Next one, JT Poston, plus 200 on DraftKings. My price was plus 125. FanDuel had him at plus 130, and PointsBet had him at plus 140. So by far the best price in the market there, JT Poston, 2-1 to one on DraftKings to finish top 40. Poston's a hard guy for me to try to ever figure out because – you know, I don't run much putting in my model ever. Clearly, he has something about this venue he likes. An eighth year in 2020, a sixth in 2019. He's riding pretty good form here with two top 28s in his last three. Even if we go back a little deeper than that, uh, an 11th at the waste management. You know, as I mentioned, he's second in my model in putting. It, it's it's tough. My model is a little bit lower on him just because I don't have that putting incorporated. But he doesn't necessarily have any, like, major red flags I'm looking at. He's 16th in stand save percentage. He's first in putting from five to 10 feet, which that's more of like, if you can get hot with the putter for birdies, this isn't really a course that you three putt on. So if he can be better with his irons than he usually is, and that's, that's really what's killing him is just, at least for me, his iron numbers are just bad across the board, but we know that with post and like, that's what he is as a golfer. The irons are kind of hit and miss. The putter gets hot. And when the putter gets hot, he makes runs in tournaments. So the form seems to be there. There's, you know, a a lot of positives when you're looking at it to that extent with it. But, you know, these putter guys are just never people that grade out overly high for me. But it doesn't mean that he's not a good play. If your model has him popping up, I can understand why he's clearly found success here. Okay. Well, that's why I guess it's kind of a bomb. Uh, The last one for me, Harry Higgs, plus 270. I love watching Harry Higgs plays. Never does it that well but my model seems to always like him but he hasn't been top 40 for me in my numbers for quite some time but he showed up at 37th right by jt poston so my price was plus 175 so i'm getting you know just about 100 points to my number and he's right around 250 all over the market but plus 270 on points back you got any of your love for the man harry higgs well i'll tell you this he's 66th in my model so i'm a lot lower than you are but i can pretty much figure out probably why that is. So more, more or less when I run my numbers for anything and it's not always, but you know, I I run it a couple different ways, but when I run it from like a longer term sample size, um, you're going to get a different perception of Higgs than if you run it from a, a shorter perspective of it. And I know that you're running most of your things from, I believe it's 30 rounds. Yes. Yeah. I do fly 30. 
Yeah. So like when I look at his approach numbers over the last 24 rounds, he's eighth in my model. He's 58th over a two-year sample size. So clearly the recent form is better than the long-term form I have from him. So, you know, that's something to where if I take a guy like Higgs and I was to go through and change the numbers a little bit, I'm sure we could uh, change this to make him a better golfer. I mean, the, the, the one thing that I do like from him is he, even with the two-year sample size from it, he's 10th in my model with that proximity range of 125 to 200 yards. So I think that's an important stat that uh, I did weigh, and maybe I didn't get all of the approach numbers the way that I wanted it to be. Like, I'm trying to figure out what hurt him so badly. I mean, not that 66 is that bad, but it's a lot lower than you are. I, I guess it would be the around the green numbers. I have him 111 over um, a two-year sample size, and he's also 119th over his last 24 rounds. So the, the thing is with that, and it's always worth noting, the around the green only ever comes into play if you are missing greens in regulation. And you're going to miss greens in regulation here because they are small greens. But if the right. irons are dialed in and he is performing closer to that eighth place ranking over the last 24, the 10th place ranking in that proximity range that I have, then all of a sudden the around the green doesn't matter as much. And when you start building like all these guys down in this range, they're going to have something that negatively affects them. There's a reason why they're a $7,000 golfer on DraftKings. There's a reason why he's 150 to one golfer to win this tournament. I mean, there's something that is negatively affecting him. And if you can get rid of the around the green being a problem and he's hitting greens in regulation, there's an upside for him to make a run and, you know, make the first page or two of the leaderboard. So while my number is a little bit lower, I, I can see how you came to that number. And I wouldn't necessarily blame you for using your math on it compared to where I have it. Well, that'll be a small one for me, I guess. I'm not going to go crazy there, but it. Overall, it seems like you're kind of on the same page with everything I got there. At least, like you're not you're not talking me out of them this week. So I like that. Should be a big week thing because usually when that happens, we crush it. But who are some of your guys' top forty markets or top twenty? And any tickets that you found value in? Uh, you know, this top forty market has been one like, like kind of like when we look at the Masters here. I I'm always fine having a small losing week, but you know, I feel like I need to make a small adjustment to this top twenty, top forty model of mine, the outright and head to heads have been good, you know, especially the in tournament bets, but it's been a little bit too much of a grind for me lately on these top forties. And I, I made a couple changes to my model. One of the things I used to do, like before we started doing the show is one of my favorite bets was the top 20 wager on the accounts where ties paid in full. And a, a, the only legal American book that does that to the best of my knowledge is bet MGM. I think the rest of them, dead heat rules apply there. So, you know, I've been trying to add a little bit more of these top 40s into my thing. And I, I just think I'm playing too many. And it's not that it's been bad. Like, I want to say I'm down two and a half units from when we started filming this from top 40s. But it's not exactly where I want to be. So I, I have a smaller card this week than I normally do. And I have a, you know, a little bit more long shots um, than on typical weeks. There's only three players that I added. The first one is Kevin Streelman. That one is closer to um he i got him at plus 130 on points bets he's nice. minus 110 on dk plus 120 on FanDuel. to me this is probably my favorite value on the board when we look at his miscut last year as i mentioned previously it was a tournament where it was the second event back from covid and i you know you don't know where these guys were with their form i'm willing to ignore that finish he was sixth here in 2019 seventh in 2018 and I'm also going to play him at plus 320 for a top 20. That's also on points bet. Uh, when I looked at that number on on an offshore book that pays ties in full, that was plus 200 for that. So I was willing to take the value there at plus 320 rather than going that route with it. And then the other two plays that I am going to play, I'm playing Ryan Moore. I keep going down this well, but plus 250 on points bet. He's 31st for me on my model. He has questionable form entering this week, but I, I always think a shorter venue helps him. He's 10th in driving accuracy, second in proximity uh, from 125 to 200 yards, seventh in par for average, and he's a great win player. And then the third name, which I know we've mentioned a lot on this show, we've gone back and forth on this guy, and he might be blacklisted for you. I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> And it's not Jim Furyk, fortunately. I, I had to get off the Jim Furyk train. I, I can't do that one anymore. But it's Matthew Neesmith. I found him plus 260 <laughs> on points bet. He's 36th in my model. And, and this venue from him, he's been, you know, real open with how he feels about it. Um, Harbortown is where he proposed to his wife. 
He calls it his favorite venue on tour. He's an elite ball striker that's accurate off the tee. And when we look at what he did last year, I believe he came 33rd here. He was around the first round leader uh, after day one. He was in contention after day two, and he had a terrible Saturday and Sunday to fall into 33rd. And that was one of the guys that I bet talking about top 20s, you know, where ties pay in full. I had a really big big ticket on him that week, and it kind of fell apart on Sunday to where that ticket didn't cash. But I just think it's a really good venue for him. Um, He's the number one player in my model over a two-year sample size in GIR percentage. So if we're talking about small greens, I just think that it's a venue where he can use that strength. He can use his driving accuracy and and at plus 260, I thought it was a good value to try to grab. I love the uh, – that's that's the outside information people don't know. I had no idea he proposed to his girlfriend at uh, – what the hell? I had Harbortown. So that's, that's that's stuff you just don't get elsewhere unless you're on Twitter and maybe it's on there too. But, yeah, Nate, dude, he showed up 31st and I knew someone was going to talk about him. I couldn't punch the ticket until you said it, so I love that. Uh, Streelman, I love that too. He's actually showing up. But it was a very strong play for me. I don't know how I missed that. Uh, Ryan Moore, my model never likes him, but I will ride it with you just because, you know, I'm not going to let you sit out there alone. But you, you made a very good point about how how this course sets up for him very well. Would you say he's 10th off the tee? Uh, yes, I believe so. And, and, you know, probably the reason why your model doesn't like him as much as mine is just that short-term data. He has not been yeah. good here recently. And True. You know, there's something to be said about that. Guys, when they ride bad form in the tournament, sometimes continue it. But I just love the course fit. These shorter venues open it up and – for a guy like him that's never going to win at a lengthy track, if we can put him somewhere where, you know, he can use all his strengths that come into play, I, I just think that we can get a top 40 out of him. And uh, plus 250 was good value for me looking at it in that market. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go to the outright center or actually matchups. Who do you got for matchups? I'm sorry. Anybody you picking on directly? Yeah, so there was a couple people that were fades for me that I was trying to find a matchup for. Uh, Robert McIntyre was one of them. He's 89th in my model, and I just think he's better suited for long tests. You know, good recent form has enhanced his price. He has a missed cut at the players. I just think this is a really poor fit for him where he's not going to necessarily get his his best game here. So I was able to find Ian Poulter minus 120 over him. Poulter's a guy who has four top 14s here in his last four attempts. He's 14th in putting, 18th in win, 15th in my weighted par four scoring. That number has climbed a little bit. Uh, I saw a minus 123. I'm still fine playing it there. I'm normally not a person that likes to lay heavy juice on these matchups, but Poulter's 21st in my model. McIntyre's 89th. There's a really big discrepancy there. Another person I was looking to fade was Cam Smith, and that's not necessarily a person I anticipated trying to fade coming into this week, but when we look at Smith, he has back-to-back missed cuts at Harbortown. Uh, he also has the same thing where he's 0 for 4 in his last four Pete Dye events. And maybe I was thinking of him when I was doing that. I'll have to double check on that McIntyre one. But yeah, and anything that's not a player's championship, he's 0 for 4 in his last four. And then Bermuda has been Cam Smith's worst surface over his career. He's 78th in stroke team total over his last 50 on that grass type. So I took Abraham answer minus 105 against him. I just think answer is a top 25 machine. I think we're looking at a spot with Smith where he's a little bit overvalued. And even with that number being priced out at minus 105, I think it's a pretty good indicator when you look at where they are on DraftKings here. You know, you take a guy like Answer, he is 8,900. Cameron Smith is 10,200. If we're saying that's, you know, pretty much, we'll call it minus 110 each way. I'm sure there's, you know, a number close to that somewhere. So, you know, there's there's a $1,300 difference, and we're saying that those two are even. I just think it shows that Cam Smith is a little bit overrated this week. And then the last three that I am going for, just to run through them quickly, uh, Neesmith, minus 115 over Bryce Garnett. Tommy Fleetwood, plus 120 over Sungjae. That's like looking for a Sungjae fade there. And then Chase Seifert, minus 110 over Wyndham Clark. Um, I, I have some concerns about Seifert. You know, he has two made cuts here, but he hasn't been better than a T50 Seaford is trending with three top 18s in his last four. I, I just think it's a good opportunity to grab at minus 110. I've seen that number move a little bit also. I think that I don't I don't believe it's higher than minus 115. But 
at the last check, all those numbers were pretty much in place at most of those offshore books. So those are the five I'm rolling with this week. I love it. I, I again, haven't really looked at that. I usually just wait for you for my guidance there. Um, let's go to some outrights and we'll get out of here. Nice, quick show. I love it. So here are the, what I say, I got five plus the Bezaden how now that you mentioned that, but number one on my model, um, shout out to Cody. I owe him a hat for guessing. Uh, Daniel Berger, 23 to one, I believe was on DraftKings. I did not write where I punched these tickets. I'm sorry. Um, shows up. I, I think he, I, I think he wins it outright. I know you liked him a lot last week. I think he's going to bounce back here at this course. I think it fits him perfectly. This is a field. I think he could, you know, it is a, it's a relatively strong field outside of DJ. Okay. Like Zalatoris is in great form. Patrick Canale, everybody's let down from him for last week. I don't know. Berger just jumps up. He's like almost a point better than anybody on my model. So that's something to kind of write home about. Um, next up, Sergio Garcia, 45 to one. He is number two on my model. That blew my mind. So I'm going to play a lot of Sergio everywhere. And I think that that's a really good value on him. I'll play him top 10 just because I don't know if he actually, I just don't like that recent winning equity for Sergio, but I think he's going to get top 10 here. Also, I think that was like a plus 450 ticket. Uh, Paul Casey, 30 to one. I just seem to always like Paul Casey. He's number three in my model. So again, these guys are ahead of Webb Simpson, Dustin Johnson, Patrick Cantlay in my model for me, which is wild. Canley was fourth. I did not punch an outright on him. Charlie Hoffman, 43 to one. I, I don't know if I actually like that now. I think I'd rather go like top 20 on him, but he seems to be just priced very, very short in comparison to just like Charlie Hoffman of late. I know he's playing very well, but I don't know. Vegas loves him. So I didn't find a ton of value in that 45 to one or 43 to one number. But my favorite win ticket right now is 55 to one Shane Lowry. Do you have any thoughts on Berger, Sergio, Casey Hoffman or Shane Lowry. Yeah, I mean, all those guys, I believe, are in the top 20 of my model. Uh, like, let's start with Berger here. This reminds me of where he missed the cut at the waste management, and then he came back the next week and won at Pebble Beach. We're looking at a spot where he missed the cut at the Masters. Now he gets another short course, which is, you know, what we got at Pebble, where I think it's just an ideal setup for him. He's second in my model. I didn't end up punching a ticket on him. There's two guys essentially in this lower tier range of, of options, it was Webb and Berger and, and you have to find the right price on Webb. There was a 16, the one somewhere in the market that I thought was an intriguing price. Didn't grab it, but Webb and Berger were the two guys that I was most intrigued with in this, you know, upper range there. Sergio is fifth in my model. I also punched an outright ticket on him. He's fifth here last year. He's top 10 on Pete Dye and Bermuda tracks. I really like that ticket. Uh, funny enough, Cantlay was also fourth for me and mine. And then if we go a little bit deeper, like, yeah, Hoffman is technically a value for me. I don't know if I believe he can win the tournament, but he's one of the guys that showed up for value. Lowry showed up for value for me. I don't have a ticket on him either, but there's a lot of guys in that like, you know, 40 to 70 to one range that kind of showed up as uh, where you want to be this week. Like, you know, when you get a price on Dustin, that's 10 to one and you're not betting Dustin, it opens things up somewhere across the board, especially if you shop around, like there's enough books where you can find numbers that are conducive to try to find an outright price to make it work. But I pretty much like everywhere you are with there. Sergio, I believe is the only one. And now Bazade and how would be the two that I'm on, but I couldn't talk you out of any of those. I mean, those are kind of the group of guys I would be looking for trying to find an outright ticket. Let's see if I can make it two in a row, I guess. I do have two in a row outrights. How about that? <laughs> All right, who do you got? Who are your guys? Uh, so I have tickets on, I believe, six players. The very first name I punched was Kevin Stroman. As I said, like, you know, it's one of those things. Do I believe he can win this tournament? That's debatable. I have him covered in a top 40. I'm going to have a top 20 on him. I, I grabbed him when he first, in, when the odds first dropped at 90 to one. I just think his ball striking gives him a chance at a short course. You can make an argument he can't win, but you know, I'll, I'll take a top 20 or 40 and move about my way with it. Another guy that I grabbed a number on really quickly, and I think this number has fallen and it makes it worse at a certain point, but I grabbed Kevin Knott 50 to one. He's the top player for me around the green over his last 24, and he has two top 10s here in his last four. 12th at the Masters. I think you're just looking at a guy who, who when he does perform, he gives you top-level results. You don't really ever know what you're going to get from him. That was more of a number grab than anything else. I have Bezayden out. I, I grabbed that at 70-1. to 1. Just a lot to like about his short game. Sergio, as I mentioned. 
uh, for all the reasons. And then Kevin Kisner, I grabbed at 60 to one. Just think he's an under the radar option because of what his current form is. I think he's a good course fit here. My numbers didn't necessarily love that. It's one of those things where I'm going to go against my numbers a little bit and just uh, believe that this venue will suit his game. And then the one I'm surprised you didn't mention, and he is third in my model this week, and I don't know if he's ever been this high before. I don't know if that's a good or a bad sign. Tommy Fleetwood, 55. Oh, All right. Yeah, so I just think his irons are coming around. Like, you know, a lot of the data that I have on him is bad over a two-year sample size. He's one of the guys, and this is the same exact thing I did with Homa at the Genesis. I went through and took some of his recent form, took out some of the long-term form, because the long-term form is not going to show quite as well with it. And just the recent stuff that I was able to put in, like he's gained strokes in, it was either four or five or five or six with his irons. You know, he's 12th for me in total driving. You could argue that a lot of that comes because of driving distance, which you're not going to need here. But he's a good ball striker. He's good in my around the green plus sand save. He was 20th there. He's ninth in, in wind play. He's ninth in Bermuda. He's 12th on peak die. He's 17th for me around the green if we just take that number as a whole. And I just thought that was a really good price for him. And you can make the argument like Fleetwood hasn't been able to win in America yet. But if he's going to win, this feels more like a European test to me where there's a lot of strategical nature behind it. You're going to have four slaps. You're going to have to find certain spots. And if he can get hot with the putter, which is always the question mark around him, I think he can make a run and win this. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Fleetwood picks up his first victory and actually wins this tournament. I love it. I'm in. All right. That's all I had to hear. I, I'm just scared to punch a ticket on him every single week. Him and Haddon. So I got to take Haddon then also since I, I said his name while you were saying yeah, you know, What about Brian Harmon? He was one I was looking at, but I feel like his, his performance this weekend kind of inflated his price. That was the other one I was kind of kicking the tires on. Yeah. Like Harmon kind of falls under that same thing with Kirk where it's like it's hard to fade these guys until they, their form changes on them. I just don't know what Harmon's win equity actually is. 40 to 1 ticket, like my model likes that number, surprisingly, but my model's overweight or overinflated for what I think Harmon is as a player. And he's not winning these events as it is. Like as good as he's been, it's still just a 12th at the Masters, you know, it tied for fifth at the match play, a third at the players, which I don't really think he ever necessarily had a chance to win. And then just a bunch of top 40 results other than that. And then as far as Hatton goes, I do think Hatton makes a lot of sense as one of those guys, if you're trying to, you know, I mean, you're not throwing a dart at 25 to one, but we saw it here last year. He came in third place. His form was not good leading into the masters. We saw him turn it around. He hadn't had master success in the past. He came in 18th place. Uh, I've mentioned this the last couple weeks. I'm willing to excuse the match play and the players championship stuff. I don't think that that's something that necessarily holds a ton of weight to it. The 21st at the API and 22nd at the WGC is probably more of what I would be trying to look at. That's fine results. We know if he gets hot with his putter, he can turn it around. I I like him from a GPP aspect uh, more so than punching a ticket on him, but I'm not going to talk you out of betting him on an outright ticket. I think 25 to one's an intriguing price for a guy that we know is the top 10 player in the world. And this course, if it's going to, if I'm going to say it suits European players, you know, there's probably not a better European player in the world than Terrell Hatton. Let's do it. Well, that's all I had. It's a very quick show. Any final thoughts for the crowd? No, I I think it's going to be a fun tournament. Like, as I mentioned previously, like the lack of length of the venue opens us up for a lot of players. And I, I always like these tournaments. Like, you know, if, If I was to give away one play, I really like the Streelman top 40 play if you have access to that. He's seventh in my model. That was one of the biggest outliers of of a player I had. I have him as somebody that should be even on, I mean, he's going to be somewhat popular, probably over, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13% on DraftKings. But I think you're just looking at a guy who's undervalued at 7,300. To me, he should be an $8,000 golfer. And that's what's really intriguing about this week as a whole. You have a lot of guys that are underpriced you know, compared to what they should be like, there's not a huge difference to me between some of these guys in the upper eights and the lower sevens. And if you can make an argument for a guy like Stroman that he should be in that upper eights range, like you can find a lot of value in specific tickets or DraftKings lineups. So uh, I'm going to be trying to, you know, as always play value on the board. And, and that was one of the preferred valued plays I, I did find. All right. Well, uh, 10 unit hammer then on the uh, top 40. 
Well, I never go that extreme on things. Like for me, a big play is like a unit if I'm gonna throw it on a top forty. So I got this. I got the Hideki money burning a hole in my pocket. Yeah, I mean, like most of my top forty plays usually range between like two tenths of a unit to, you know, if I go really high, maybe seven tenths of a unit. I'm gonna be playing it as a unit to win one point three units. You know, maybe a little bit more. And but the thing is with that. I'm also going to be throwing like a quarter of a unit on him at the top 20 number at plus, uh, I believe it was plus 300. So I'll diversify, you know, my exposure to him a little bit to where if he comes in the top 20 and 40, I'll be able to get this for, you know, a little bit less than two units. That's perfectly fine for me. That's about as, I I don't necessarily love playing things bigger than that, just because I think that I, I don't want my week to be decided by the one play, but you know, that's also coming from somebody who's much more conservative with the way I spread across my units. Like I probably let's say smarter. You could say it's smarter. Well, I mean, you know, it's smart in some aspects. Like when we look at it from the, the in tournament perspective, I always, you know, mention I play those plays for half units and, you know, it's unfortunate because that's kind of the best market I've been. I mean, that's a 65% thing through this year where I'm not necessarily playing them as full unit plays. And it would add up if I was, I just trust my model and my math and, and some of these things, you know, the things that are more volatile, I always like to play smaller. So outright wagers are volatile. I play them small. Top 40 wagers are less volatile, but they're still volatile. I like to play them small. And then these in-tournament plays for one round, I play small. And, you know, when we look at things of like a full tournament perspective, everything is going to always be a unit or above on it with it just because I get four days to, if it works correctly, to, or I guess even if it doesn't work correctly, hopefully I can get a guy to miss a cut. But those are the plays that I'm usually trying to put more of my exposure on. But, you know, I think it's been a pretty good indicator. Most of these weeks, my exposure ranges somewhere between, I, I would say, 10 to 25 units on the max of what it's going to be. And uh, if I limit my top 40 a little bit, which I did this week, we're going to be probably closer to that 10 unit range. And, and I'm fine from that from a, a unit exposure perspective. Like, if I, mostly if we're going to talk about things on here, there's a lot of small edges that we could discuss. But the problem that it comes with it is not everybody can get the prices that we mentioned. So I always like to try to throw things out where there's a bigger edge, just so, you know, maybe if you find it a little bit different than where I was able to find it, you can know that there's going to be an edge. So most of the things, if it's moved 10 or 15 points, I still have value on it. And that's kind of just the way I like to try to give wagers out when we're talking about it on the show. No, for sure. I think that's the the biggest value add we could have, I think. So, uh, again, I just want to thank everybody for the support, Spencer. Thank you for your time. The The show's been blowing up a little bit. You know, like we're, we're gaining viewers every single week or listeners, I should say. So we greatly, greatly appreciate the support. Hope everybody had a great Masters. I know we had a ton of great content last week. And hopefully um, we can get back at it at the RBC here. Yep, sounds good. And, yep, just to reiterate what you said, thanks to everybody who tunes in. Thanks for all the support. And, Thanks for everything you do, Nick. I know like a lot of time and effort goes into this and uh, you know, this has been a, this has been a fun journey with you on this. And I think that the show is starting to take off and it's, you know, I'm thankful for everybody who's tuning in and listening. Awesome. This is what we live for guys. Good luck this weekend. Yep. Good luck.